And we will be in Psalm 119. So encouraging to reflect on songs like that, very gospel-centered. My kids and I were in family devotions a few weeks ago, reflecting on the law. In Deuteronomy, Moses says that this law would be a witness against you. And as we were sitting back thinking on, on that reality, um, we were reflecting on the joy of gathering together with the body to be reminded of the grace of God in the gospel. We are hit daily with promises from the world through media of radio, television, magazines, newspaper, you name it. Let's say we're failures, but here's the promise solution. This object, this thing, this person will bring you hope. And then we run to it and find it fails us, and we fail, and then another hope is promised, and we run to that, and we're on a treadmill of constant failure, self-pride and failure, self-pride and failure. And we come as believers to once again be encouraged to look to Christ and remember that He has satisfied the wrath of God for us. He has paid our guilt. His righteousness is credited to our account, and we're refreshed and encouraged to step out once again motivated by love and thanksgiving for what he has already done for us. And we go out to do battle again each week and promote Christ to our hearts and promote Christ to one another's hearts and to boast in Jesus. Well, let's read Psalm 119, 9 through 16. And my prayer is that all the roads of Scripture would run us to Jesus Christ and that we would be impressed with Christ even in such a psalm as verses 9 through 16 of Psalm 119. Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight. As much as in all riches I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Let's pray. Lord, apart from your spirit opening up the eyes of our heart to see the preciousness of your word, as the psalm says, all the riches, all sufficiencies, we cannot delight in them apart from your sanctifying grace. Indeed, it was your saving grace that opened our eyes to see Christ and trust in Him for our righteousness, our justification. And we ask that you would work even now to open your word, to allow us to see wonderful things in it. And we may be impressed with you, with your blessedness. So when our heart's affection, we ask, for the name and glory of Christ. Amen. Inside your body, there is an amazing protection mechanism called the immune system. It's designed to defend our bodies against millions of bacteria, microbes, viruses, toxins, and parasites that would love to invade our bodies, and many do. Now, death reveals the power of the immune system. All you have to do is look at what happens to anything once it dies. When something dies, its immune system, is, along with everything else, simply shuts down. 
And in a matter of hours, the body is invaded by bacteria, viruses, parasites, and the list goes on. It only takes a few weeks for these organisms to completely dismantle our bodies. And eventually all that's left is skeleton. And after time, dust. Obviously the immune system is doing something pretty powerful while we're alive to keep all that dismantling from going on. But in terms of our study this morning, we want to ask a spiritual question, if you will. What is it that acts as the defense mechanism for the spiritual life? What is it that guards the Christian from the dismantling effects of sin, if you will? What protects the believer's character from the destruction of sin? Well, many of you this morning and approaching this this afternoon are holding in your hands a Bible. It's Scripture. That's what verse 9 tells us. Look with me there. Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. There's the protection for the spiritual life. Is the word of God. Now he picks up on the youth or the young man as a picture of one who would go through temptation in youth. Becoming then a, a picture of all who are going through struggle, who need to guard their way through the Word of God. But it also commends to us as believers the importance of taking the Word of God to our homes, to the young men and women, no doubt. So it serves a double purpose. Expression of a person caught in their youthful life amidst the temptations and struggles. At the same time, the, the call to guard the path. How can a young man keep his way pure is the question. By guarding it according to your word. Now the psalmist is not just content in verse 9 to say, well, the word of God is what protects. It's the spiritual defense mechanism. He unfolds three provisions that come out of the word of God that guard the path. Let me give them for you. The first provision is relationship with God in the word. And we find that in verse 10, relationship with God in the word. And you see this, with my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. Seeking God in the word. Relationship. Secondly, discipleship. We see this in verses 11 through 12, where he prays, particularly in verse 12, that the Lord would teach him his statutes. The word of God. He would learn. He would be instructed in the word. Discipled is the word I've chosen to describe this. And then thirdly, worship. Worship for God in the Word. In verses 13 through 16, there's a declaration. A declaration from the lips regarding God's Word. A delight in verse 14 regarding the riches of His testimonies. A deep meditation in verse 15 that involves a, a fixing of the eyes on His ways. Describing the, the eyes of the heart, the mind being riveted upon the preciousness of His Word. And then again verse 16, delight. And the response, I will not forget your word. Worship. Driven towards God. In fact, Psalm 119 176 verses expressing the, the, the Scripture's sufficiency. 176 verses. The psalm is written in 22 stanzas that reflect the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. In fact, the first word of each stanza matches 
the particular letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Why? It's so important is understanding the sufficiency of God's word. It's written in such a way that it can be meditated upon, memorized, or as the psalmist says in verse 11, storing up your word in my heart. How can a young man keep his way pure? Verse 9, we're going to unpack this relationship and the foundation particularly of this relationship with God. The, first, or the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet is bait. Bama is the word that's used to match with that Hebrew letter bait. And, and bama just simply means with what or by what means. Describing the instrument. With what instrument? What is the instrument? What is the means that will guard my path? Particularly in purity. Well, we need to unpack verse 9 a little bit here to, to understand the weight of this. Unless we just read and pass by. Verse 9, again, what is this way? A young man keeps his way. What is this way? Well, a way in the Old Testament describes the character of one's life, the conduct, his patterns of thinking and doing, we could say. So when you look at someone's pattern, the Bible addresses that as one's character. It's described as a rut, a worn path that's worn over and over and over again. Paul in Ephesians 4.1 can say this, walk in a manner worthy of the calling, picking from the Old Testament picture of conduct or character in light of a walk. Romans 5.4, Paul again says, perseverance that leads to proven character. Underlining, again, perseverance, faithfulness, endurance, something done over and over and over and over again, proven character. The path then characterizes the life. In effect, we, we understand this in our, our culture. We have terms, labels like ADD, attention deficit disorder, codependency, bipolar disorder, labels that identify particular harmful paths. The problem is our culture blames the doing on the worn path, whereas the Bible runs back to the heart. And addresses the steps in light of the heart. Look at Psalm 119, 1 through 4. I'd like you to see again this idea of way or path. Verse 1 of Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. You see the idea of way and walk paralleled together? Notice that this way is blameless. That's the one who's blessed, whose way is uh, blameless. It reflects the integrity of what? Well, verse 1 says, the law of the Lord. That person's blessed. Verse 2, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. So this blessed person walks in the way of the, the law of the Lord, but it's not just the external way. It also addresses the whole heart. Sounds a lot like Jesus where he summed up the entire law with the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So this walk and this way of one who is blessed reflects the word of God with blamelessness, integrity, and drives right down into the very heart to love his word, to obey his word with the whole heart. 
But, you know, God's, God has ways too. We see this in verse 3. Who also do no wrong. <laughs> Remember, with the heart. Who also do no wrong, but walk in His ways. That's the Lord's ways. The Lord has ways too. He has paths. He reflects His character in His law, in His word. That's where we see God's ruts, God's paths, and, and we praise Him for them because they're, they are righteous paths. Blameless paths, paths full of integrity. They don't change, they don't alter, they're not manipulative. They're true and righteous altogether, as Psalm 19 says. We can depend upon His ways, His path, His character. Are you getting a little uncomfortable yet? <laughs> he should be. I am. Because when you look at Psalm 119, 1 through 6, you see you must keep his testimonies with the whole heart, do no wrong, walk in his ways. Verse 4, the commandments are to be kept diligently, that his ways are to be steadfast in keeping your statutes, his eyes are to be fixed on all your commandments. And verse 7, I'll praise you with an upright heart. Every part of your being, your full undiluted attention riveted upon God's word. That's the one who's blessed. So when we ask, well, how can a young man keep his way pure? Psalmist, my way is not even pure. Now, when you look at verse 9, we see another word that drives the dagger even deeper. Now, I say all roads in Scripture are going to run to Christ. Well, they are. <laughs> pure. Sakah, the Hebrew word can be translated clean. But what is very interesting about this word is that it's used in conjunction with iniquity as a contrast to iniquity and in parallel with righteousness. Well, look with me at Psalm 51. We'll, we'll try to stay around the Psalms. We'll pick up the two passages in Isaiah to look to Christ. But Psalm 51, you'll go back just a little bit here. Psalm 51. This is a confession of sin. From David. He's acknowledging his need to be cleansed from sin in verse 2 and washed from his iniquity. But in verse 9 is where we want to draw our attention because we see the word clean in verse 10, contrasted to the iniquities in verse 9. Verse 9 Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Verse 10 Create in me a clean heart, O God. You see the contrast to iniquities? But notice the parallel, and renew a right spirit within me, a right standing. Well, if that's not enough, maybe it's just still a little obscure. Look over at Job 15, step back a book. It's more indicting. Job 15, verse 14. <laughs> Here's our word again. Notice the parallel word. Psalms and Proverbs are very important with parallelism. They help us understand Hebrew words. What is man, Job fifteen fourteen, that he can be pure? It's our word. Or he who is born of a woman, that he can be righteous. Requires a righteous standing to be pure. Verse 15, behold, God puts no trust in his holy ones. Really? And the heavens are not pure in his sight. From angelic beings to the heavens, 
not pure in his sight, how much less one who is abominable and corrupt, a man who drinks injustice like water. He doesn't put his trust in angels and holy ones. He does not consider the heavens as pure, much less man who drinks injustice like water. And I'm supposed to guard a pure path. Job 25, we'll just see it again. Job 25, verse 4. We see the parallel again with righteousness, a right standing, and purity. Same word. Job 25, 4. How then can man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of woman be pure? Behold, even the moon is not bright, and the stars are not pure in his eyes. How much less man who is a maggot, and the son of man who is a worm? Like Proverbs 20, verse 9, sums it up well. Who can say, I have made my heart pure, I am clean from my sin? How can one's way be blameless? Psalm 119, verse 1 said, is blameless. That's a state. It's a condition. Well, we only find relief when we understand the foundation that lies at the bottom of Psalm 119. The storyline of the Bible. And we find hope when we took, look to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. And we see a wonderful paradox. Psalm 32, verse 1. The paradox is that one who confesses his sin is blessed and has Christ's righteousness imputed to his account. So while being a sinner, he can be simultaneously righteous in the eyes of God because of union with the Lord, union with Christ. Wonderful paradox. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 32. Blessed is, there's the state, the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts, credits, imputes, reckons, looks upon with no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So, the blessed one is one who walks into the light and uncovers his sin. He doesn't hide it behind his self-righteousness, his efforts, his doings, his performance. He walks into the light and uncovers himself and finds blessing in the Lord who credits righteousness to his account, as we'll see, and his iniquity to Christ. Look at verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. This was the one who's blessed. It's like Psalm 119.1 told us, blessed. How can this be? Verse 10 and 11. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Union with the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. You see this? Oh, righteous. And shout for joy, all you upright in heart. A sinner, but righteous. Yes. The sinner has walked in the light, uncovered himself, laid himself bare with all his shame and guilt, and found refuge in the Lord. And in the Lord, he has found righteousness. You say, who is this righteousness? Well, glad you asked. This is where the road leads us to Jesus. In Isaiah 45, one of my favorite passages in the book of Isaiah, a little obscure statement made, but it is wealthy. It's rich. Isaiah 45, 24. 
Here we're going to let it erupt to Christ. Isaiah 45, 24. I love going to conferences, you know, and they're teaching, kind of in the details, and then I see it starting to come up. I see sin addressed. I see the provision of righteousness. And I'm like, I feel like I'm on a roller coaster ride. I've whispered to Brian Onset one time, so I'm like, oh, this roller coaster ride is coming up the top. I'm ready for the, for, the, for the jump. And here it is. This is it. This is it. Verse 24. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me our righteousness and strength, and no one else. No other provision. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me our righteousness and strength. Look at 25. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. It's in union with the Lord. We confess our sins. We walk out and admit our transgressions. We don't hide behind our failures or hide behind our guilt or hide behind our self-righteousness or self-pride. We walk out into the light, expose it, and run to the covering that's found in the Lord. And we're declared righteous. Who is this one? Isaiah 53 tells us who this is. 53 verse 11. Isaiah 53, 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant. See that? There is a righteous one. There is one who is pure, clean. He's the servant. By his knowledge, his experience, shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ and have trusted in Him, you have had the pure way, the pure walk, the righteous walk of Jesus Christ credited to your account. And you find that in the promises of Scripture. Because in God's Word, we see that new birth happens through the power of the Gospel. We see that faith comes from hearing the Word of Christ. And through faith in Christ, we receive the righteousness of God. We're credited with His righteousness. So we turn to the Word to get the way. Now one who walks, who has that way, now walks in that way, he lives out his Christian life. This is all the assumptions that lie underneath this promise of God's Word. If we try to guard away, we have no way credited to our account. We're, we, we are in, we're in trouble. We, we run back again to remember what Christ has already done for us. Remember, He is the way, the truth, and the life. That gospel impacts our hearts and we bear fruit. And we do walk in a way. Our character is transformed according to His character. Our way is transformed according to His way. But that's because we've had a way credited to us. And God reckons us, looks at us, considers us in Christ. He is our righteousness. Well, go back to Psalm 119. So we turn to the Word of God. The Word that regenerated, that birthed us, brought living faith, the promises of the gospel. It's that same Word that we turn to now for our sanctification, our growth. Maybe you need a little break. I'll give you a little example to do that. But uh, we lived in California, my family and I, for about 10 years going to school. And we would make these journeys to get back to Nebraska for Christmas. They're precious times for us. But, of course, you're driving through the Rocky Mountains, which we always tried to go the shorter route. And I can tell you right now, it's 1,560 miles is what we had to drive through one way. Got that figured out after driving that many times. 
But we'd run into problems. Every once in a while, you'd be riding on black ice with winds blowing you. And I'm telling you, as you're driving and you just feel yourself sliding off to the side, you're going, what is going on? And then you look into the side of the ditches and you see the jackknife semi-trucks. You know you're just a hair away from joining everyone else in the ditch with a precious little family. Well, that, that didn't, we, the Lord was very gracious, let's put it that way. One particular event, we were decided to drive through the night. The kids were young. We thought they could sleep so they could hack 24 hours of just straight driving through. And we got in the Rockies and a blizzard hit. And I'm telling you, a whiteout with uh, cliffs on either side and not knowing where in the world the cliffs started. I couldn't see anything. I was scared. Like, Lord, what am I supposed to do? How do you stay on the path? Left or right, I'm in, I'm in trouble. And this semi-truck came blazing by. Looked pretty confident. <laughs> and I'm like, Robin, I am tucking my tail, that Pontiac Transport, behind, the, behind that, the front end, behind the tail of that semi. And I'm sticking there for two hours. I followed that thing. And we joked. I mean, you try to have a little happy moments. If that truck is going off, I guess we're following it too. What else are we going to do? I can't see. And I hope that he's traveled it long enough that he knows exactly what that road does on every turn. And he did. I tried to flash him uh, thanks when we got through, but my lights were packed with snow. But we made it through. You know, we asked that as believers. How in the world are we going to be sustained on the walk of life? How is my way going to be guarded? And Scripture is the protective tool. But it does so in relationship with God. We saw it in relationship with Christ, and we see it in relationship with God in Christ. Look at verse 10. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. He leads with a statement and then makes request. With my whole heart I seek you, and then praise that he would not wander from the commandments of the Lord. In other words, it's, it's delight in the Lord. It's, it's running to him that safeguards our hearts from wandering. Just as the gospel runs us to Christ for salvation, so the gospel keeps running us to God in Christ in our sanctification. Remember, Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Wandering or strain. It's interesting he puts it in, in, in conjunction with commandments. When you look at verses 9 through 16, you see different synonyms for God's word. In verse 11, it's word. In verse 12, it's statutes. It's rules of your mouth. In 13, way of your testimonies. In 14, precepts. 15, ways. 15, statutes, 16, and word, verse 16. In other words, the commandments here, the word here is describing God's authority, God's commandments. While the word of God is his revelation of his mind to us, it, it reveals and bears his authority, rule, and power. And this is what brings confidence to us. One, we've broken God's law, and in the word he's provided a law keeper for us. Praise God. But His Word bears authority. He is independent, self-sufficient. Everyone else may make claim to authority, but have none. And we'll find any claim from man will lack integrity. It will be full of blame. Those who wander are those who reject the authority of God and His Word. They are like a fool who speaks what's right in his own eyes. 
a deaf, dumb, blind beast. It's the analogy that Proverbs uses. Harsh language describes someone who's stuck within himself and can't get out. He is his own interpretation of reality. But God's word comes in and bears authority and we go, oh, and it's so freeing. Look at the description of those who wander in, in verse 17 through 24. I want you to see the, the wandering comment first, and then we'll look at the antidote to that. So drop with me. Look at verse 21. You rebuke the insolent, notice, accursed ones. They're cursed. Who wander from your commandments. And what is the antidote to wandering from his commandments and being accursed? Well, verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Lord, I want to see you and the word. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. Don't let the commandments be a sojourner in my heart. I need your word. Verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. It's the soul being consumed with his truth. Dropping down to 22, we've already seen 21. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Notice in 23 that those in esteemed positions may plot against the believer. Oh, they've got authority to bear, words of wisdom. And the way he battles with that is to cling to the testimonies, the counselor, the counsels of God's word. Notice he's, he's afraid of his own attitude of 20, verse 22, scorn and contempt. Those are attitudes that despise God's word, that despise God's authority. Proverbs says much about the fool who scorns and looks with contempt upon the word of God and upon wisdom. So what is his antidote? In the word of God, he runs to the God of the word. That his heart would be captured with the glory of God. Giving you another passage, and we're close, so I think we can go there, and then we'll have to slow down the, the passages. But Psalm 27, verse 4. Psalm 27, verse 4. In the midst of adversaries of verse 2, evildoers who eat up his flesh... An army, in verse 3, who encamp against me, you'd think he'd say, well, just free me from all these trials, bail me out, deliver me. And then we step back, as these psalms do, and they just blow us away with a completely different solution. Verse 4 of 27, one thing have I asked of the Lord, one thing, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. One thing, when enemies encamp me, and they would eat my flesh. One thing, I need to see your glory. I need to see your face. 
Octavius Winslow, in his book, The Fullness of Christ, draws an analogy for believers from the life of Joseph. He observes that when nations came to Pharaoh for provision in light of the severe drought that had come upon the lands, Pharaoh pointed the nations to Joseph. For all provision had been laid in his hand. Winslow, in his book, reminds readers that we often come to God seeking provision to meet our daily needs, and we sense that He is far from us until we're reminded that God says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. The Father points us to the Son. Winslow writes this, All All is invested in her one divine, spiritual, glorious head, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about the church. And for us as believers, everything's been invested in Jesus. Don't we find all we need in Him? What is the demand? Is it the pardon of sin? And then he quotes scripture. In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Is it righteousness to justify? Here's scripture. We are made the righteousness of God in Him. Is it spiritual life? I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Is it grace to subdue the power of sin? My grace is sufficient for you. Is it compassion and sympathy in times of trouble and seasons of sorrow? We have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He sums it up. Oh, what is the need which shall not find in our full Christ its own commensurate supply? Everything in Christ. And so we seek him. We see Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that in Him, Christ has become our wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Paul says that all the promises are yes and amen in Christ. So we run to the God of the Word. And our hearts riveted by Him. He protects our way, our character. Lust makes its promises, sin makes its promises, and we see, ah, we, there is no competitor for God. I get God. What are you thinking, flesh? What are you thinking, world? And when we fail, and we take a bite, we look to Christ, that he did not fail for us, and that perfection is credit to our account. We rejoice, and we live in light of him again. That leads us to number two. As we seek the God of the word and the word of God, we're discipled by him. Discipled by him in verses 11 through 12. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. The idea of, of being something being stored up is the word for hidden. It's used as a synonym for or metaphor for treasure. One commentator I was reading said that when someone has treasure in the ancient East, uh, they would bury it. And they never forget where they buried it, where they hid it. They know they'd have a map. We just forget it. It's where their treasure is. It's their livelihood. It's their protection for the future. Where does the believer store the word? When he takes the spade out and digs the hole, hides the treasure, it's in the heart. It's in my heart that I might not sin against you. So the believer takes the word, the promises of God's word, stores it up in the heart, meditates on it, hence 176 verses of promises, stores it up in the heart, to cling to in the midst of struggle and suffering, in the midst of self-righteousness and pride, in the midst of guilt and failure, running back to the promises of the Word. Now, the word in the Hebrew for, for word 
uh, zamar. It can be used of utterances, God's utterances, and it's used often of promises. Promises. In effect, the believer's hiding the word of God's promise in his heart. His promise. The promise according to Romans 4, 17 through 25, of which Abraham apprised the barrenness of the womb, there's no life, but trust the promise of God to give life. That kind of promise that gives life and death. These are what we cling to. My brother-in-law uh, is in, in the military, and he often tells his stories here uh, a few times. He tells one story of training with a chemical mask. He said, Chris, we, me and my partner were marched into this tank, toxins. And we had to be able to walk in there. I couldn't have the mask on. We had to walk in with the tank and put it on in, in, in the midst of the toxins to force us to trust the mask, to trust the oxygen tank. And then me and my partner, we had to do it together, had to take off the mask and, and say something in the tank, basically to be released from the tank. And he goes, I just waited for my partner because I wanted to make sure I still had oxygen <laughs> in case he flubbed up. Well, he did. He said, as, what he did is he ripped off the mask and took an air as he was speaking. <laughs> the next moment, he's choking. It would have been to death if they didn't relieve him of the dilemma. I thought, what an illustration. We've been given the promises of God. There is an oxygen tank to us to breathe in in the midst of the despair and the promises of the flesh. And we draw from it as our life. When we're in spiritual conflict, we remember the promises of His Word to sustain our belief. When we're ridiculed or persecuted, remember Jesus' promise that if the world hated you, it will hate, if the world hated me, it will also hate you. If we're worried about failing, we remember Christ, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. If we're worried about our condemnation in light of our guilt, remember that Jesus' blood has cleansed us from all sins. As we are discipled by God and His Word, we begin to grasp the meaning of holiness, grace and mercy, long-suffering, patience and kindness, justice and righteousness, truth, wisdom. As we're enamored with God's revelation of His own character and His Word. And we're taught by Him through His Word. It affects our work life and our family life and our ministry life, our community, as we proclaim Christ. Notice in verse 12 the response. So He's instructed in the Word of God. He's, it's been treasured in His heart. And what is the response? What is the treasure? Blessed are you, O Lord. You are blessed. You are blessing itself. That's the treasure. The Word of God takes us to the God of the Word. And then he says, teach me your statutes. Statutes is the primary idea of cutting or engraving in stone. It's used of a ruler's decree engraved on stone. I can't help but think of some of the European travels on my way to India. And uh, I would see these bigger-than-life statues of um, what seemed like Greek men. I know they, they weren't, but probably taken from that era. Big beards, long flowing robes, standing at the top of these buildings, holding a tablet, holding a law, statutes, reminding everyone of the power of the law and authority. We don't see much of that in, in our culture. 
But I thought of God's word in light of that picture of statutes. I think that's why he uses that word, engravings, power, authority. Reminded of the Psalms that describe God's, uh, the earth is his, his footstool, and yet the, the heavens is his throne. God above, larger than life, he is life, holding his word. You see pictures in the Psalms of him riding above the storm clouds or riding over the tumultuous seas. And we run to him to hear his word. Remember he addressed the young man or the youth, and so I have to ask, where do you turn for a fulfilled life, a blessed life? What is your view of a blessed life? Is it God? I get God. Then do you turn to the word? Does your children, the youth of verse 9, see you running to the one who is blessed, God, who is blessing? Do you run to the word? Do they see that in your life? Do they see you seeking the Lord through the word? First provision, relationship with God founded on the righteousness of Christ. Second, discipled, discipleship of God. And third, the worship of God, verses 13 through 16. Now he emotes in praise. The word has captured his heart with the sufficiency of the Lord. And so he says in verse 13, with my lips I declare... In verse 15, we see his eyes. That's uh, emphasizing meditation. And we see in verse 16, delight. What does he say in 13? With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. God's word from his mouth. That's how we're to view scripture. This is God speaking to us right here. Again, underlining commandments, statutes, his authority, his rules. It's not something to be tampered with. I don't mess with that. I don't impute into it what I want God to be saying. No, we listen to Him speaking in His Word, for He has spoken, sealed in His Word. And so we come to it as coming to statutes, rules, laws, commandments, underlining His authority. Verse 14, in the way of your testimonies, I delight. As much as in all riches, it's a word describing all sufficiency, all wealth is found in the way of your testimonies. Now this word, way of testimonies, is, is rich. The way, path, character, testimonies is God's testimony, His witness regarding His way. We find that in the word. You may want to jot this down. We don't have time to look at it, but Exodus 33, verse 12. Exodus 33, 12. Through 34, verse 9. 33, 12. 34, verse 9. Here's the context. It's incredible in relationship to the ways of his testimonies. Moses is discouraged. The people have been redeemed out of Egypt, and now they're worshiping false idols already. Golden calves. This is your God, O Israel. What is going on? He says, in 33, verse 12, he said, Lord... I can't, make, I can't lead your people. If you want me to go forward, I need to see, he says, show me your ways. Show me your ways. Show me your paths. Show me your ruts. I need to see them because the people's ruts, they're not full of integrity. They don't reflect your word. I need to see your ways. And then he says a few verses later, show me your glory. You see, to see his ways, character is to be visited with his glory, his weightiness, his attributes, the knowledge of him. Show me your glory. And, and the Lord responds, well, you can't see my face. If you saw 
my unmitigated presence, my essence, you would die. You can't handle it, but I will put you in the cleft of the rock. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Hit him in the rock. By the way, 1 Corinthians 10 tells the rock that followed was Christ. Amazing pictures there. Hides him in the rock. And you know what Moses, what Moses hears? Proclamation, testimony, witness of God about his own character. God of loving kindness and mercy, faithful, yet a just God. And as he's visited with the ways, the glory of God, he worships. He bows down and worships. I'm trying to think of an expression of this, a picture of this to maybe help us. But I live down close to the base, Air Force Base in Papillion. Every once in a while I get these screaming uh, jets to fly across and you look up to see where it's at. It's nowhere. You just heard it. You saw the afterburners, the trail. That's what Moses saw. He wasn't able to seek God. He saw the afterburners. He saw the trail. He saw the rut. He saw the path. He saw the glory of God's character proclaimed in the word, the ways of his testimonies. And just as Moses fell down and worshiped, so the psalmist says, I delight, verse 14, as much as in all riches in the way of his testimonies, he's confronted with the glory of God, just as Moses. In verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts, fix my eyes on your ways. Think of Moses. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. There is one who has looked upon the Father. It's Jesus. He's God. And he came down here for us to do what we could not, to delight himself fully in the word, to receive the word, interpret it rightly, Demonstrating his obedience, he walked the way for those who believe in him. I began with the story of, or an account of the immune system. You know what we often do to preserve a body that is decaying for a funeral or memorial service? We embalm them with chemicals meant to slow down the decaying process. And often these uh, embalming fluids also simulate, through color change, the appearance of blood flowing under the skin. It's injected into the arteries. I'll leave that to you as an example. Maybe you're trying to walk the way. You're trying to live the Christian life, but there, there's no power. You find more delight in listening to yourself think and listening to others talk about you. You are more offended when you're put down. Your delight's not in the Lord. But you're trying to keep up the face, the embalming. There's hope. There's hope. You can walk out into the light and quit hiding. Run to him and find righteousness in Christ that he freely offers. It's his grace. It's a gift. Run to him. Repent of your sin. Confess your sin. Trust in Christ. Ask the Lord to credit Christ's righteousness to your account and your sin to his account. And you'll find God in Christ to meet your soul for eternity. And believer, there are times we, we struggle with the flesh, and we often try the spiritual embalming tactics as well, too. And we run back to the flesh, as Paul says in Galatians 3, who's bewitched you? We run back to the flesh thinking we can muster it up, and we forget the cross, and we need to be reminded again 
of the cross. And glory in him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for such a psalm as this. We thank you for the storyline of Scripture, that it is in the storyline of your redemptive plan and purpose in Christ Jesus. And so we can trace these themes even from Psalm 32 to Isaiah and find our hope in Christ and rejoice in Him. Thank you that the same gospel that provides the message of our justification is the same glorious gospel that provides the message for our spiritual growth. Thank you that the gospel runs us back to the same Savior, the same Savior who provides for our justification, our righteousness, is the same Savior who grows us and sanctifies us. As Jesus said, you abide in me and my words abide in you. We grow as we draw from Christ. So bring us back to Christ. May we run to your word out of a desire to delight in you to be re-encouraged as we rest in Christ. May this impact our life and our walk. In Christ's name, amen.